Seltzer Kings podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, how scary can your bouncers be, Gavin? You have places like the Tea and Quibble in Devonshire. I'm sure they're terrifying. Ass. The following podcast contains... Now, I had heard that word at least ten times a day from my old man. My father worked in profanity the way other artists might work in oils or clay. It was his true medium, a master. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you inherited a dive bar roadhouse and then you decided you wanted to be all respectable, like, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 385. They were dueling Dalton at the Double Deuce edition of the show. We talk about one of the greatest movies of the 1980s, Roadhouse. Stay tuned. What the hell are you thinking podcast is brought to you by the James Dalton School of Philosophy and Martial Arts, teaching you zen and the art of kicking ass. Any old martial arts school can transform you into a genuine badass, but only the James Dalton School of Philosophy and Martial Arts will make you question your reasons for fighting. You will learn all the moves, the kneecap smash, the spin kick, the foot sweep, and of course the throat rip. At the same time, you will be exposed to the great philosophers from Confucius to Wittgenstein, who will lead you on a more enlightened path to your absolute badassery. The James Dalton School of Philosophy and Martial Arts, because no one wins a fight, but you can totally kick that one dude's ass. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. Come on. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Okay. Ask him to walk, but be nice. If he won't walk, walk him, but be nice. If you can't walk him, one of the others will help you, and you'll both be nice. I want you to remember that it's a job. It's nothing personal. Uh-huh. And called a cocksucker and personal? No. It's two nouns combined to elicit a prescribed response. I wonder if somebody calls my mama a whore. (laughs) Is she? (laughs) I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. Well, uh, how are we supposed to know when that is? You won't. I'll let you know. You are the bouncers. I am the cooler. All you have to do is watch my back and each other's. Take out the trash. One of the little jokes our show notes writing teams just loves to use is how I've done something that gets me cost out of, yes, another bar. Not funny, guys. No, it's not. 
The reality is, I've not been kicked out of a bar in years. Now, this could be because I mostly do my drinking. At home, alone. No, I mean, y- yes, but the, 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 there was a pandemic. Whatever. I, I'm a fun drunk, okay? I tip well. I don't act sleazy to the bartenders. I mind my own business. The last time I was actually booted from a bar was well over a decade ago, and I didn't even do anything. We were in a country bar on my birthday, and some of the ladies out of the rest started dancing on the pool tables, which, okay, you shouldn't do that, but these pool tables were so shitty, they were probably improving their surface. But then the bouncers grabbed me, who was just standing there next to them laughing and threw all of us out of the bar. It was probably the best part of my 40th birthday. You're a sad, sad man. In my youth, yes, things were a little wilder. I did, from time to time, find myself on the foot of a bouncer going out the door. Never for fighting. I I don't fight. I don't start fights. I don't end fights. I stay the fuck away from fights. But uh, usually, if I was getting kicked out, it's because I was having just a little too much fun. You ought to see him dance. Look, it's not my fault that you didn't provide a mosh pit in your establishment and you forced me and my friends to make our own. Now, sometimes the establishment was entirely responsible for my ejection. Like this one time in South Korea where I had spent an entire evening drinking heavily and chatting up the girls in an off-base juicy bar. Now, look, I want to be clear. A juicy bar is not a brothel. They did not sell sex. At most, the... uh, facilitated its purchase. How is that different, huh? I'm not a lawyer. I can't explain to you all the details. Now, on this bitterly cold night, I'd gone downtown for some fun and foolishness, as the, and as the ville was closing, I found myself having a great time with all the girls in the juicy bar because the weather had kept things very slow that night. But as last call was being sounded, I got up to head back to base, and the ajima, that's a Korean word for basically mama-san, she got really, really upset with me because... I wasn't actually interested in any uh, additional services. Now, what I should have done was just given her some money and left, but I was young, drunk, very stupid. So I told her that I was broke, and unless it was free, I had to go. So, uh, yeah, she chased me seven blocks in the snow and ice, hitting me with a broom for wasting her time, and my dumb ass, who was wearing cowboy boots, basically slipped and slid the entire way back to the buses, laughing my ass off with a tiny Korean woman shrieking curses at me and whacking me on the head with her broom. You know, regular, regular day for me. The reason I tell you this entirely true story... I have doubts. I have such doubts. Oh! ...is because we're doing a movie week here on What the Hell. You, uh... You might remember the last time we did it in a movie week. Uh, that was episode 365, The Last Barman Poet, when we told you about the movie Cocktail. Always be closing. That drop had nothing to do with the movie Cocktail. That drop was just about me constantly dropping ads for old shows and new ones. Well, we're doing that again. Because movie episodes are easy, require very little research, and unless there's a church out there devoted to movies about bouncers, I'm probably not going to catch a lot of pushback for it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to milk the angry Satanist for a while now. Now, this week, we're talking about a little movie about a philosophy PhD who blows into town to clean up the local dive bar and finds himself at odds with the local strongman. It, of course, is none other than Roadhouse. Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. Patrick Swayze is... Dalton, I thought you'd be... bigger... Opinions vary. When he's around, anything can happen. How's a guy like you end up a bouncer? Just lucky, I guess. And usually does. 
Now, before I even get to the movie, I gotta take you on just a little tour of the ancient and noble profession of bouncing. You have got to be kidding me. Did you know that bouncers can trace their professional lineage all the way back to temple guards in ancient Mesopotamia? I bet you didn't. And I bet you're wondering where I got that. I got that because it said so in a Wikipedia article that will be criticized by quoting for quoting by some angry bouncer on Twitter. Quote, The significance of the doorman as the person who allowed her bar and entry is found in a number of Mesopotamian myths, and later in Greek myths descended from them, including that of Nergal, overcoming the seven doormen guarding the gates of the underworld. In 1 Chronicles 26 of the Old Testament, the Levitical temple is described as having a number of gatekeepers. Amongst their duties are protecting the temple from theft and from illegal entry into sacred areas and maintaining order. All functions they share with the modern concept of the bouncer, though the described temple service, uh, servants also serve as holy persons and administrators themselves. It's noted that some administrators' function is still present in today's bouncing in higher positions of the supervisor. Doormen or bouncers are usually large persons who display great strength and size. The Romans had a position known as the Asterius, the doorkeeper, initially a slave who guarded the door and sometimes ejected unwanted people from the house whose gate he guarded. The term later became a low-ranking clergy title, unquote. Now, to some of you, that may seem like a stretch. But keep in mind that a lot of ancient temples were basically, you know, fuckhouses for the priestly class. Kind of like Catholic schools are today. Dave! Dave, no! Yeah, sorry, not sorry. So it stands to reason that as bars and brothels came along, they too would need large men they were almost always men, to keep order and, and remove the undesirables or those without the ability to pay. A good bouncer is the difference between everyone having a good time and the people running screaming out the door while a full-on brawl takes place on the dance floor. You can't just hire some jamoke who's built like a brick shit house and has the IQ of the same as his shoe size. You want a people person who can present a professional demeanor, manage confrontation, de-escalate tension, and if all else fails... Or like, beat the shit out of him. It takes a certain kind of person to be good at bouncing, and sadly, most bars just go with the big jamoke and call it a day. But if you want the job done right, you hire a professional, because you have a lot to lose if you have a shitty bouncer. You do not want your bouncers killing some guy. That kind of thing gives your place a worse rep than if they just let the fights go on unchecked. A bouncer needs to be part foot line, football linebacker, part hostage negotiator, and part that cool kid in school who uh, decides who gets into a party and who gets kept out. Are hard to find, expensive to hire, and completely vital to any bar with pretenses of being a venue. Studio 54 was Studio 54 because it hired professionals to work the doors and floors. And here in New York City and New York State, you need to be licensed as at least a security guard or private investigator to legally bounce at a bar. It's illegal to hire anyone with a criminal record for that position. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. There are a lot of bouncers who are not bouncers they're just big dudes on the payroll who happen to check ids at the door and gently remove problem clientele as the situation arises it's a duty they share with the entire bar staff but somehow it mostly winds up being their responsibility and look i've known a lot of bouncers in my life and they're good people to get to know if you spend time in bars you never want to kiss their ass they can spot that but say you're going out for a pack of smokes you can offer to buy them a coffee Something like that. Get on the good side. Just got to kind of develop a rapport with them. I mean, they'll still toss your ass out if you act up a fool, but they might not punch you in the nuts if they like you a little bit. Thanks, pal. 
They're generally good dudes. Not a lot of color or excitement, despite their job being working at a bar. They mostly want a nice, quiet night with no problems and to go home. Which is why the entire premise behind the movie Roadhouse just seems so strange to me. Finally. For those of you who have not experienced the sheer glory and bliss that is 1989's Roadhouse, IMDb sums it up thusly, quote, serene and laconic, yet powerful and lethal. Dalton's an expert in martial arts and the best professional bouncer in the business. With such a reputation, Dalton is summoned in a small town in Missouri to clean up a sleazy bar called the double deuce from the troublemakers who terrorize the customers, without knowing, however, that the villainous local entrepreneur Brad Wesley wants things to remain unchanged. As Dalton cleans up the nightclub and with it the town from Wesley's hired goons, a deep wound from a knife will inspire a passionate affair with local doctor Elizabeth Doc Clay. Now the corrupt Wesley has enough reasons to take Dalton out of the way. Nevertheless, the bouncer has the final say, unquote. That is a very, very pretty way to describe a giant cheese ball of a movie. You still love it, don't you? Oh, fuck yes. Okay, first of all, you have Patrick Swayze just coming off, coming off Dirty Dancing. And how can I describe Patrick Swayze post-Dirty Dancing to the young people of the world? I guess the word I would use... So fuckable. Yeah, I mean, he was lean, mean... Just a hunk of man meat that was also sensitive and brooding. He made the undergarments of a generation of young women and not a few young men very constricting and in need of removal. And in Roadhouse, Patrick was in peak form. He was cut like a fucking diamond and just oozed sex in every scene, even the ones with his shirt on. Next, you had Kelly Lynch, fresh off her turn as the ingenue love interest in Cocktail. But in Roadhouse, she was cool, professional, Slightly distant and oh so. Smoking hot. Resplendent in long blonde hair, she was the epitome of 80s professional women in a traditional caring role of Doc. And the chemistry between Swayze and Lynch on screen eclipsed anything she had with Tom Cruise because when you saw the two of them together, you just knew they were going to fuck and fuck well. The first time we see them together on screen, you know there's going to be a very intense sex scene in about 28 minutes. Well, Mr. Dalton, you may add nine staples to your dossier of 31 broken bones, two bullet wounds, nine puncture wounds, and four stainless steel screws. That's an estimate, of course. I'll give you a local. No, thank you. Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt. Oh, I think it was the big glasses that made this scene work so much. There were those librarian sexy glasses, the kind that when they came off, you knew it was hot for teacher time. With these two in the starring roles, there is simply no way you are not going to see the kind of hot sex scenes an R rating was meant to give you. Meaning mostly side boob with a peak of nipple, some full glorious butt in the walkaways. And then you have Sam Elliott as Wade Garrett, Dalton's mentor, and the best damn cooler in the business. Who is that guy? Gentlemen? Wade Garrett. Holy shit. Exactly right. Now, Sam Elliott's time on screen is way, way too brief. The movie got cut really hard. I mean, the, the director's cut was three hours long. But he plays the pivotal role that dominated so many 80s movies because he's the character in the movie that everybody knew. He has to die. 
All because of one scene that changed movie making forever. Ben? You know the scene where the mentor must die to teach the young apprentice a valuable lesson about not being the guy who gets cast as the guy who has to die in the movie? Because the character of Wade Garrett just totally sat there and got killed after wiping the floor with five guys like 20 minutes earlier. Once you fill out the cast with an eclectic mix of, I don't know, monster trucks, good old boys, dangerous rednecks, and women who got cast because they were willing to show their naked boobs along with Jeff Healy, who was a far better musician than Roadhouse gave him credit for. I didn't know that Jeff Healy had even died in 2008, and just like a year before Patrick Swayze, until I was researching this episode. But Jeff was one of those 80s blues musicians that flared up briefly in the explosion of Stevie Ray Vaughan, and then the movement died out not long after Stevie Ray got on that helicopter. Still, Jeff Healy will always have a place in my heart because Angel Eyes was my sister's wedding song. has absolutely nothing to do with the movie Roadhouse, but I thought it would be nice for me to shout out to my sister. Hi, sis. Roadhouse was not a good movie, but the biggest question seems to be was the, was if the movie was so bad that maybe it was good? And whenever I talk about a movie like this, I always like to turn to the esteemed movie critter Roger Ebert, who knew good movies was always willing to embrace a stinker for the sheer joy of a bad movie. Ebert's critique of Roadhouse pretty much sums it up thusly, quote, Roadhouse is the kind of movie that leaves reality so far behind that you just have to accept it on its own terms. Was it intended as a parody? I have no idea. But I laughed more times during this movie than any of the so-called comedies I saw during the week. Consider, for example, the movie's hero, a barroom bouncer named Dalton, played by Patrick Swayze, last seen in Dirty Dancing. Here's a man known as the best bouncer in the business, and the business must pay well, since he owns a Mercedes convertible. Roadhouse exists right on the edge between good, bad movie and the merely bad. I hesitate to recommend it because so much depends on the ironic vision of the viewer. This is not a good movie, but viewed in the right frame of mind, it is not a boring one either, unquote. And Roadhouse is supposed to be a modern western. You might notice that all the characters have names associated in some fashion or another with famous cowboys from the Old West. And the whole premise of good guy rides in to save the town from the evil land baron that is robbing them blind, it's not exactly subtle. Though for some reason, I never saw the movie that way, but I, I guess I should have. IMDB lists all the references to famous cowboys in the trivia section for the movie saying, quote, Wade Garrett shares his surname with Pat Garrett, the sheriff who shot and killed Billy the Kid. Brad Wesley... The main villain of the film has the same last name as the middle name of John Wesley Harden, one of the most notorious and cold-blooded killers in the history of the West. He uh, once fired a shot through the wall into the next room of a hotel where he was sleeping and killed a man whose snoring was bothering him. You'll meet the gunfighters. Men like John Wesley Harden, so mean he once shot a man just for snoring. 
Kelly Lynch's character was named Doc, a nickname shared with the gunfighter John Henry Doc Holliday. The character who owns the barn where Dalton rents a room, Emmett, is the first name of Emmett Dalton, the leader of a notorious bandit ring, the Dalton Gang. The double deuce bar owner, Bill Tillman, was named after Bill Tillman at Dodge City in Oklahoma fame. And finally, there's a character named Younger, which was the last name of Cole Younger, another notorious Western bandit and killer, unquote. Also, IMDb let me know, quote, the character Dalton was named after Dalton, Georgia. Screenwriter R. Lance Hill was passing through, stopped at a local bar. The establishment and his patrons left an impression on him, and as a tribute to the town, he named the protagonist Dalton, unquote. All right, speaking as someone who has spent some time in Dalton, Georgia, I've been drunk there. I have family there. Naming a character who has a PhD in philosophy from New York University who beats up rednecks for a living is about as far from Dalton, Georgia as you can possibly get. Now, look, I always saw this movie as a goofy-ass good time, a fighting and fucking movie intended for low-brow taste of 20-something dudes in the late 1980s, which I have to say, it succeeds at doing. I mean, they included a scene with a monster truck Bigfoot the truck itself was as big a star in some circles at the time as Patrick Swayze crushed an entire car dealership underneath its absurdly large wheels. And if that isn't entertainment, I do not know what the fuck is. You clearly don't. But what if I told you the Roadhouse was not simply a B-movie punch-em-up with a generous portion of boobies, but rather a statement on Ronald Reagan's America. Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! I'm not saying that I agree with what I'm about to read, but uh, when I found it, I knew that I could use it as a hook to call back a long-running joke. And after all, isn't that what having your own podcast is about? Is it, though? Well, it, it, it is for me. Quoting now from my website called Overactive, Overactive Imagination for Fun and Profit .wordpress.com. Quote, Roadhouse, the film starring Patrick Swayze, is a live-action metaphor for protecting capitalism from the anarchist and communist. Whether or not the government is behind it is not known. But the facts are there. Read this. Watch the movie. And the obvious facts will hit you like a roundhouse kick to the face. Well, yes, but no. The character of Dalton and Wade Garrett represent the need for protection of capitalism in the United States of America. In the beginning of the movie, we see Dalton protect a free market establishment from the elements that are liabilities to profit. Frank Tillman, the owner of the Double Deuce, represents free trade and commerce, as well as the characters of Red Webster, Pete Strodemeyer, and Emmett, and Cody, Brad Wesley, and his business practices of the strong army in the town of Jasper, from, and her businesses to contribute to a single fund, the Jasper Improvement Society, is textbook communism to the T. Like all communist regimes, he had his own secret police to administer the government and financial policy. And also, he had military hardware. They were represented by his helicopter, three-wheeler, knife in his agent's boot, and let's not forget the Bigfoot truck. Dr. Elizabeth Doc Clay is the embodiment of political and or social groups that are indecisive towards affiliating themselves with any one ideal or system. We find out she's Wesley's ex-lover. Then she is Dalton's love interest. This is capitalist and communist fighting to have support from a politically marketable demography. 
The remodel of the Double Deuce represents the defeat of anarchists. And in the end, with the clash between Dalton and Wesley, we see the capitalists win the symbolic trophy room. Do you think the messages in Roadhouse were not effective? Well, later that year, the Berlin Wall fell, unquote. You don't need this. Tell me what I need. If you want to go, go. Get the fuck out of here and leave me alone. Yeah, you're right. I ought to stop telling you what to do. Maybe I ought to kick your ass. Now, this obviously satirical take, I just can't figure out if the satirist is on the side of capitalism or communism, is not at all what the writers, directors, and actors intended from this movie. Indeed, the director himself said the movie was it was a punch up with a generous portion of boobies designed to get 20-something dudes in the 80s to take their girlfriends to see it and drool over Patrick Swayze's tight bod. Sam Elliott himself told people this back in 1989, quoting now from an interview in the, as recorded in the Daily Oklahoman, quote, if you take any of this too seriously, then you're going to be put off by the delivery of it. You know, it's Mad Magazine, not to be taken too seriously, unquote, Sam wasn't too fond of the finished movie. What I'm saying is, is not every 80s movie is about Reaganism or the deeper issues of the time or our time now. Sometimes it's just about fistfights and boobs. And that's okay. The movie made money. It was nominated for awards. Admittedly, they were Razzies. It was nominated, but did not win for Worst Picture, Worst Actor for Patrick Swayze, Worst Supporting Actor from Ben Gazzara, and Worst Director and Worst Screenplay. But the film is listed in the Golden Raspberry Award founder John Wilson's book, The Official Razzie Movie Guide, as one of the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. That ought to count for something. Roadhouse is on my list of movies that I watch when I just want to be entertained. All right, sir. You are right. Not everything needs to be about a big issue. The world we lived in in 1989 was full of hope. The Cold War was clearly ending. America was winning. The economy had boomed for the better part of a decade. I was 20 years old and full of hope. And a movie where the good guys were clearly good guys and the bad guys were clearly bad guys and Kelly Lynch was sexy as hell. It was fine. It didn't need a big idea. And today, when I am old and broken, and Kelly Lynch is still hot as hell, but the world is objectively falling apart, when I need a movie about nothing more boobies and fistfights, I'm not going to watch Marvel bullshit or whatever the latest Star, the latest star Wars is happening. I mean, those are, they're fine, but they also kind of want to be about things. Sometimes a bad movie is just a bad movie. And maybe the world needs more bad movies. And hey, if they just happen to feature a good actor with a totally ripped bod, ripping the throat out of a dude who pulls a gun on him during a fight, then that's fucking great too. Because that fight scene at the end was off the goddamn hook. I used to fuck guys like you in prison. What should you think about it is a pretty progressive thing to say for the time. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it for our show this week. Oh, we are winding down the air here at the old pod farm. Not that we won't have new content coming out. It's just that I'm tired and ready to get this year over with. So you'll probably see more of kind of easy one-offs coming down the pike for the rest of the year. We do have big shows in the hopper. They just, uh, they're going to have to wait to 2023 as this dumb show just keeps rolling, rolling along. Speaking of things that probably should end, but don't rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so people can see your review, take a listen, and think your reviewing day should probably wrap it up. If you want to kick us a buck to keep us in cheap beers and bar fights, you can head over to patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast and do just that. Now, you need to do all the things Jeremy is going to tell you to do in the closing. Otherwise... He will be forced to drive a monster truck through the parking lot of your apartment building and briefly inconvenience you while he does it. He doesn't want to do that. He will. And so for me, Dave, easy money and faithless women, red eye whiskey for the pain, Bledsoe, producer. Two voices call to you from where they stood. Lay down your law books. Now they're no damn good. My mother wanted me to study law. I should have listened. Gavin and all the fictional bouncers on this show, we want to say, if you're fast, if you're lucky, you will never see that hanging tree. I never turn to try to, try, try to turn a dive bar into a fern bar. That's just wrong, y'all. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. He says it's perfectly safe. That's what they said about the Ford Pinto. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.